2008, 2009, we had a terrible recession because of too much debt. Adam, look out the window. Since then, the debt has skyrocketed all over the world. Gigantic amounts of debt. You cannot believe what's happened in Japan or even the US for that matter. So it has to be the worst bear market in investment vehicles and the worst economy in my lifetime. I mean, how can it not be? Hi folks, Wealthion founder Adam Taggart here. As inflation spiked over the past year, commodity prices started rising dramatically from their multi-year lows. But following the outbreak of war in Ukraine, the prices of all major commodities, from oil to gas to gold to nickel to wheat, have positively gone berserk, with many up 20 to 40 percent, and some a lot higher in just the past week or two. In trying to understand where things are headed, I can't think of a better expert to consult than Jim Rogers, legendary international investor, financial commentator, and author of several books, including the bestseller, Hot Commodities. Well, commodities are so hot right now, they're nearly thermonuclear. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the program to help us make sense of this highly uncertain moment in time, all the way from Singapore. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I hope I know. I hope I'm half as smart as you said. I doubt it, but I will. I will give it a shot. <laughs> I'm sure you're twice as smart, Jim. Um, well, let's let's jump right in. I want to ask the question I ask everybody at the start of these interviews, um, but then I very quickly want to take it to what's going on in in Ukraine. What is your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets right now? Well, there are two different things. The economies and the financial markets, but most economies are and continue to be reasonably strong because there was so much money printed and so much money borrowed and spent. And, you know, Adam, if, if you give me a trillion dollars, I'll show you a very good time. And we're all having a very good time. Uh, I don't know how much longer it can last. It is leading to inflation, which is leading to higher interest rates. And then, of course, there's war as well. War has never been good for anybody except a few, few generals. Uh, but the rest of us suffer. So we're going to have, in my view, the war is going to end someday. And when it does, we'll have a big rally in the markets because people are not so worried about central banks anymore. The central banks are scared have a big rally and that's the last rally. And then we have a bear market and we have the worst bear market in my lifetime. And which means we also have a bad economy. The debt, I mean, Adam, this may sound dramatic, but the, we had a bad market in 2008, 2009, bad economy. Since then, we, and that was because of too much debt. Adam, since then the debt has skyrocketed. Can't even count how much the debt is up since then. So the next bear market has to be the worst in my lifetime. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you facts. Okay. Uh, I want to get into the details of, of what you think that could look like. But before we do, let's address the big elephant in, in the room news-wise right now, which is the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. Um, how are those unfolding developments altering your macro outlook, if at all? In other words, is it accelerating our way to the inevitable outcome? Uh, is it making it worse? Is it, how are you interpreting what's going on there? Well, it's having dramatic effects. You just said before that the price of commodities has gone through the roof. I mean, nickel was, I cannot believe how high nickel was yesterday and maybe even today and some other things as well. These are 
unprecedented prices, and that's having an effect on all of us. Uh, I mean, Adam, I know you don't know what's happening to prices because your butler does your shopping, but the rest of us who do our own shopping, we know that prices are going through the roof. And that's having an effect, even if they calm down for a while. I mean, this is changing a lot of things. It's certainly changing the whole face of the economy in Europe and Asia. More important for us, uh, the US dollar has been the world's reserve currency and medium of exchange for decades. That is changing now because now many, you know, a, a international medium of exchange is supposed to be neutral. You can use it for anything. You could buy drugs, buy your girlfriend a coat. You do whatever you want to with an international medium of exchange. But now, if Washington gets angry at you, they, they put sanctions on you and you cannot use it. So needless to say, lots of countries are saying, wait a minute, we got to find something else because if America ever gets angry, we're, we're in real trouble. So China, Russia, India, Brazil, many, Iran, many countries are now looking frantically, have been, but now it's accelerated, looking for something to compete with the US dollar. I don't like saying it, Adam, I'm an American, but I have to face facts. And what Washington is doing is ending the 100 years or so, or 80 years or so, that the US dollar has been the world's reserve currency. Not good for you, not good for me, certainly not good for our kids. All right, so that was one of my questions here down the list, which is, um, are these events here basically serving as an accelerator to the um, movement from a lot of non-US nations to de-dollarize? Sounds like you think absolutely it is. Think, I know, I mean, I can look out the window. <laughs> if you were any country in the world, even if you're neutral and not affected, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, suppose America ever gets angry at me for whatever exactly. reason, even if they're wrong, they're going to cut me off. Nobody can live with that kind of world, certainly not in economics or finance. All right. So I don't want to get too far down the crypto hole right now, but just real quickly, um, the whole topic of central bank digital currencies or CBDCs you know, had been floating around much over the past year. I presume if we indeed move to that, you know, the U.S. and other major nations, but if, if the U.S. moves to it and is still the reserve currency at the time, that just makes this concern even more uh, uh, of an issue for these countries, right? Because you can basically, you know, freeze a CBDC within milliseconds, correct? Well, yes, as long as the electricity is working. Remember last year, Texas closed down its electricity for four days. What are you going to do then? You're going to go to the shop and say, I need some bread? But my, but my money is all on the computer. The shopkeeper is going to say, well, Adam, we like you very much, but we got to have money. You know, we're sorry your electricity is down. Or if countries close down the internet, which has happened more than once, what are you going to do then? Now, I have a little silver here just in case it, that happens. But that's one problem. My, more seri my, my deeper concern is and I know a lot of people who've made a lot of money trading crypto. Many, many, many computer currencies have disappeared already and gone to zero, as I'm mm -hmm. sure you know. But everybody's working on it, including the US. All money is going to be on the computer eventually. It already is in China. In China, you cannot take a taxi with money, Chinese money. You cannot buy an ice cream with money in China. You have to have it on the computer. 
they're ahead of us, but everybody's going to be there. But when the U.S. says, okay, Adam, this is money now, but if you want to use that money over there, you can use that money over there. That's not the way bureaucrats and politicians think. They want control. They want monopoly. I don't like it, but they love it. So that's why I have not, as long as cryptocurrencies are just trading vehicles, who cares? But if they become successful as money, as the bulls say, then I'm skeptical. Okay, great. And, and you know, you live over in the in the east um and so uh you know you're much you've got your ear much closer to the ground on what people over there think um as it relates to china um you know basically so lots of late breaking developments and today two big ones were that president biden spoke and said yes we are definitely uh, going to be placing an embargo on um you know all sorts of russian products but oil and gas had been up in the air and biden said yep we're not going to accept any more oil and gas from those guys, us or our allies. Uh, Russia then basically turned around and said, well, you know what, we're not going to sell to you guys anyways. Um, we're not going to sell to any of you or your allies for the, you know, at least through the rest of this year. Um, so that raises the question, okay, well then how does Russia basically run its economy? And I think, you know, the current assumption for my cheap seats is that, you know, they'll be turning even more closely to the Chinas, the Indias, et cetera, of the world. Uh, to increase their trade and, and, and do trade in other commodities besides dollars now. Um, what are you hearing from your vantage point? Oh, no, of course, that's happening. The, the renminbi is becoming more and more, the Chinese money is becoming more and more international every week. I mean, it's not a competitor to the U.S. dollar yet, but it's certainly getting there. It's being forced. America is shooting itself in the foot and forcing people to use other currencies and other ways to trade and buy and sell. And as for oil, so, okay, the, the oil market is a gigantic international market. Somebody will buy that oil. It may not have a sign on it that says oil from Russia. It just may say oil. Right. Somebody will buy it. If you give it the right price, everybody needs oil. So sure, somebody's going to buy it. I'm not because I don't need any oil, but somebody will. Okay. Well, let me ask a sort of higher level question then, which is, you know, there's a lot of debate right now as to whether whether or not Russia can really withstand these economic sanctions. And, and no doubt at all, it's it's going to be really, really tough for them uh, as long as this full court press is going on. But do you do you see them as being able to pivot and do enough trade with, with some of the countries we've talked about to, to make it through? Or do you fear that Russia could potentially collapse economically here? Well, anybody can collapse economically, and many have, and many will. Uh, but there are many studies that show that sanctions don't work. Mm -hmm. And certainly in my own experience, they don't work. Maybe they work for a, a short period of time, but human beings are smart enough to figure out a way to get around sanctions. You can circumvent you know? them, yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, whether it's legal or not, human beings find a way. And so sanctions have never been, really been very effective. We've had sanctions against Cuba for decades. Well, you know, they're still there. We've had <laughs> Cuba sanctions against many people, many times, and they don't work. Um, it's a, it's politicians like it, because they can go on TV and say, see, those are evil people, and I put sanctions on. I have saved the world. Right. It's kind of a political, can be kind of a political posturing, virtue, virtue signaling, et cetera. But let me ask the question from the other direction then. Um, 
can the West afford to cut itself off from Russian supply? I mean, Russia is a top and sometimes the dominant provider of a lot of key currents, uh, commodities. And, and I'll just use one example here. Um, Europe is heavily dependent upon Russia for a key essential, which is, you know, heating energy. Uh, they import 28% of their oil from Russia, um, but they import, I think, 40% of their natural gas. Um, is this something that they can, can sustainably find other supply in time? Adam, you're not old enough to remember the Cold War, but in the Cold War, R Russia did nothing with anybody. Mm -hmm. And somehow Russia survived. Somehow they survived. It was absurd. It was a terrible place to be, and it was a terrible way to live. But Russia survived. And Russia's going to survive this as well, maybe in very, very bad circumstances, as they were, you know, 40 years ago. But Russia will survive. There will be black markets. There are always black markets. Do I, am I keen? No, of course I'm not keen. But I have seen enough countries go through this kind of stuff. And they always say to the people, Mother Russia. And the people say, yes, Mother Russia. We will support Mother Russia or Mother whatever name you want to use. And people put up with it. It's crazy, but they do. And Russia will survive. And Russia maybe will survive. Not, maybe not as we know it. And maybe Mr. Putin, well, Mr. Putin's getting older, so he's not going to survive forever, although he thinks he is. But so it will change. But even if it's blocked off for another 40 years, as it was under the communists, it'll survive and the world will survive. Yeah, I, I was wondering a little bit more from the other direction. Well, well is Europe so dependent upon Russia's um, at least energy sources and maybe a few other key commodities where they may have to eventually sort of sue for some sort of compromise here, some sort of understanding just because they they are so dependent upon what comes out of Russia. I, I don't know. I'm not a geopolitical analyst, but I know you've been around the block a bit more than me. Well, of course. I mean, the Germans right now are frantic. Many people right now are frantic because natural gas, much stuff that they use comes from from Russia and parts of the con economy will have to close down. No, this is, war is not very good for, this war especially is not very good for anybody, not even Mr. Putin, he's learning. And I suggest that the war will end probably sooner than we expect or hope. Because of that, the, the Europeans don't seem to be keen. Many Russians don't, be seem, don't seem to be too keen. The, Chinese are jump, not jumping in and say, oh, more war, more war, more war. Uh, no, I suspect it will calm down because it is hurting a lot of people at the moment. Um, your points are well taken. But again, Adam, whenever there's a war, people say you must sacrifice for your country. And people say, yes, we must sacrifice, even if the country's wrong. You know, enough studies have shown that if the government says something enough times, people believe it. Yeah. I'm not the first person to know that propaganda works. You know, if Washington <laughs> tells you a hundred times the sky is blue, you won't even go look out the window. You will say, yes, the sky is blue. All right. All right. Well, look, let me let me ask you this sort of getting into commodities specifically here, but still staying in the international stage for a second. Um, as we mentioned, commodity prices have, have 
they were rising all throughout last year, right? Um, which was sort of the drumbeat, you know, that we kept hearing, hey, inflation's getting hotter, inflation's getting hotter. Now we've had commodity prices really go bananas, as I said earlier. Um, hopefully they will moderate a bit, hopefully if there's a ceasefire and maybe some of this, you know, these economic trade wars that are all of a sudden going on uh, begin to get unwound. But even if they do, that's going to take a while. And so my question is, is uh, as you look to the smaller nations around the world, um, you know, when energy prices and food prices got, uh, you know, when, when they spiked back, I think it was in 2011, that's when we had the Arab Spring. Do you have a concern at all that we might see something similar this time around as commodity price inflation really bites uh, around the world, but especially in uh, you know some of these smaller nations that can absorb the price increases less well? Of course, smaller nations like Massachusetts. Yes, you don't <laughs> think people you don't think people in Massachusetts are a little agitated right now about what's going on? Read the internet. Oh my god! I think I think they I... are, but I think they can probably absorb it a little bit better than say the cab driver in Tunisia. Well, okay, <laughs> the cab driver in Tunisia has already had this revolution. Uh, no, of course, this is affecting everybody in the world, and it's affecting them rapidly. Uh, and it's going to get worse because it sometimes takes a while for this to work its way through. No, of course. And throughout history, when you have disruptions like this, people get angry and then they, they act. So no, we're going to see more disruptions. Uh, we might even see somebody else win the American election because these, and it's not, that's not a small country. But no, this is already affecting a lot of people. Yeah, well, there's that was election, interesting. Excuse me, there's an election in Korea today, as we speak, South Korea today. And I suspect that it's going to cause big change there as it's causing everywhere. Okay, well, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I sadly am not following the news enough in, uh, in Asia to know that there was an election, a big election there today. Uh, here in the States, we're obviously very focused on the midterm elections coming up in November, which I, I'm not a political strategist. I'm not taking a partisan stance here, but I think people were, you know, feeling pretty pretty confident that the Democrats were going to lose their hold on Congress, largely due in part to how much inflation's been raging. As you know, inflation is kind of a an equation for kicking out whoever's the incumbent, right? So sounds like you're saying that's happening right now in real time, right? Right? Right at your neighbors. It's everywhere you go. The price of gasoline has gone through the roof. The price of bread has gone through the roof. As I say, your butler does your shopping, but the rest of us know what's happening to prices, and we're not happy. You reminded me, i got to give that guy a raise. <laughs> Can you afford it? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, not with the price of gas these days, apparently. Um, <clears throat> so prices are going crazy. I, I think one question almost every viewer, probably every viewer has watching this, Jim, is, is this heightened price action we're seeing right now, you know, post the incursion into Ukraine. Do you think of that right now as more of a, a short-term distortion? Um, or uh, is, is there a fundamental repricing going on right now that, that, yes, maybe prices may come down a bit from where they are right now, but they're not going to go back to where they were, say, a month or two ago, that we were in some sort of new world appreciation for the value of commodities? Well, you've been around a long time markets, and you know that when a market spikes, it usually leads it to a down, correction. For sure, yeah. Whatever the, whatever the market is, 
we're having that kind of spike. If the war ends next week or tomorrow, then of course, in my view, that spike will calm down. But Adam, the fundamentals, oil, known reserves of oil have been declining for a long time. We overcame that with fracking for a while, but the fracking bubble has burst. And so we don't have as many unlimited amounts of oil and gas as we used to. And so, yes, no, we'll have a correction, but then the price of nearly everything is going to continue to go higher. Nickel cannot go much higher. It can correct. <laughs> but, I mean, nobody's, oh, Adam, an electric automobile uses four times as much copper as a gasoline automobile. Mm -hmm. And nobody's been opening copper mines in a long time. It uses more lead. It uses more lithium. It uses more everything. Nobody's been opening these sources of supply for most of for a very long time because of bad pricing. So uh, you should be careful. You better be very nice to your butler because <laughs> prices are going to go higher. All right. Well, thanks. And that's what I wanted to dig into here because you and I have been following this for a long time, Jim. And we know that, that um, you know, de deposits of key resources have been getting more and more dilute over the decades, right? They've been harder to find. Um, but also in the past years, decade plus for a lot of commodity sectors, uh, the, the companies themselves have underinvested in capital expenditures and in exploration for a variety of reasons. And you can't undo that, you know, in a month or two. Um, it takes years to bring, you know, new new deposits back into production. And of course, you're going to go out and find them first, right? So we've understood that. But I think the world is kind of waking up to that right now, that a lot of what they took for granted about energy, energy supplies and whatnot, I think they're beginning to realize that, hey, we've we've kind of slept walk ourselves into the situation where we took for granted the relative um, cheap prices we were putting on commodities. But now that we know that we maybe need them more, <laughs> more, in, uh, you know, intently than we thought we did, and, and we can't now get them, Jesus, maybe we need to, to price that stuff higher going forward. Well, of course, I mean, there's a saying that I've known all my life, the cure for high prices is high prices. Yeah. When prices are very high, it cuts demand and increases supply eventually. But it takes a long time, as you aptly point out. And in America, for instance, we're, we have high gasoline prices now. So Mr. Biden has said, no, I'm not going to open the new pipelines. I'm not going to encourage drilling. I'll find other sources. Well, OK, that's your choice, Mr. Biden. But you better understand that until you come up with new supply, prices are going to stay high. And that's not going to help anyone except the producers who produce this stuff. I mean, I own, I own commodities and I'm delighted at it. But I, I mean, I have to be realistic. This is not good for the world. It's not good for the country. No, it's not. And, and so there's, to your point about high prices being the cure for high prices, um, if price gets high enough, it, it comes down one of two ways. You bring additional supply online, as you were just saying, or you reduce demand. You have demand destruction, right? And yes. if supply can't come online, then it has to be demand destruction. And that means recession, maybe in extreme cases, depression. So how concerned are you right now that we are staring at a potential <laughs> near-term future of heading into recession because of this? 
Well, Adam, it's been uh, 12 years, whatever it's been since the last recession in the U.S. The longest right, so we're overdue anyways, yeah. What? So we're overdue anyways. Right? Well, it's the longest in America. It doesn't mean it had gone on for 20 years, 30 years, who knows? But it is the longest in American history. So we're probably overdue. Inflation's coming back, which means interest rates will go higher. Prices are extremely high in the investment markets. So we're probably coming to a time for a recession again. Now, Washington said, no, 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 we'll never have another recession. The Secretary of the Treasury says, we have solved the problem. Now, she's got degrees from two fancy Ivy League schools. So maybe she knows what she's talking about. I don't think she does, but she says, don't worry. But I know that the world has always had recessions and the world always will have recessions. And if there's war or panic or epidemic or what else, they come along and they, they can be very bad. So we're probably going to have the worst in my lifetime. All right, so I just wanna be clear. You, earlier you said the worst bear market in your lifetime and people tend to think bear markets of, okay, stocks are down, but recessions hit everybody. And I, if I heard you correctly, you think you were, you were about to see the worst recession of your lifetime. Did I hear well, you correctly? In two, 2008, 2009, we had a terrible recession because of too much debt. Adam, look out the window. Since then, the debt has skyrocketed all over the world. Gigantic amounts of debt. You cannot believe what's happened in Japan or even the US for that matter. So it has to be the worst bear market in investment vehicles and the worst economy in my lifetime. I mean, how can it not be? I don't see how anybody can say it. it's not going to be a bad recession with all of the debt that's, that's skyrocketed everywhere. Okay, I, I just, I, I wanted to clarify that because uh, I think there are a lot of people out there who are sort of protectors of the status quo who are trying to say, ah, it's, it's, it's not gonna be that. In fact, you know, whether or not going into recession or if we do, you know, it's hopefully gonna be a mild one. Um, but you're a man who doesn't mince words and you're saying, look, if you didn't like the great recession, you're probably gonna like the greater recession even less. Well, Adam, I, if I would like for those people to explain to me how it cannot be the worst in my lifetime, because the debt is staggering, staggering. When you look around, even China, in 2008, China helped save the world because it had a lot of money saved for a rainy day. It started raining. China started spending its reserves. But now even China has a lot of debt. Right. Then who's they started borrowing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's going to save us? North Korea? I don't think so. <laughs> I think you made that comment the last time we interviewed. Yeah, if we're if we're down the list, where we're hoping for a company like a country like North Korea to come to our rescue, we're we're in pretty bad shape. Um, all right, so to to bring this home, and I'm not trying to scare people. I'm just trying to help people really, you know, have a eyes wide open sense of what may lie ahead. Um, <clears throat> right now, what we're staring at is we're staring at stagflation. Right, we're seeing. Uh, slowing economic growth, and in the U.S. at least, the Q4 actual GDP that we saw in Q4 was about 6.5%, um, which was very high, and there's a lot of inventory restocking that's in that number. But if you look at the Atlanta Fed's GDP now estimate um, of what they are projecting Q1 2022 GDP to be, right now, Jim, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's 0.0%. .0%. So that is a marked deceleration. And that was there before, is that that number before the outbreak of what's happened in Ukraine 
And the developments from there are definitely not conducive to GDP growth. So it's likely to go negative. Um, and as you know, two negative quarters, that's a, officially a recession. Um, but basically, so we've got slowing economic growth. Um, but right now, prices are high and, and, and rising higher fast. So um, could this be sort of the... <laughs> The worst kind of recession. Not that there's any good ones, but I mean, this is one where our our job prospects, our economic prospects dim diminish, but we're we're squeezed over these you know continually rising prices in the cost of living. Well, of course, that is what's happening. I mean, I, again, I I don't want to. I just want people to know what's going on. A lot of people in the '30s came out rich because they understood what was happening and they adjusted accordingly. If people understand what's going on, chances are they will be okay. I just want people to know that never in the history of the world has any country been as deeply in debt as the United States is. I don't, I'm American, I don't like saying this, but I have to deal with facts and your viewers need to understand what's going on if they want to survive or even prosper. No, I don't like it. But again, the Secretary of the Treasury says, don't worry. Everything will be okay. Okay, hooray. I worry. I don't care what she says. I think she was the one of the people too who said the greatest regret of her tenure at this uh, at the Federal Reserve was uh, how low inflation was. Okay. Again, she has fancy Ivy League degrees. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, look, let's get to that point. And that's the, the whole gist of this interview, Jim, is um, our viewers are investors. They're, they're regular people. They're, they're trying to, A, not get steamrolled by what may be coming, you know, with the risks that we've just talked about. And I think in a perfect world, they'd, they'd like to prosper a bit. You know, they're people who are trying to be good stewards of their wealth to provide for their family's future. So um, when you look at the opportunities in this space, um, I know commodities are a big focus of yours. We don't have to talk just about commodities, but what are you, what are you looking at right now from an, with your investing lens on, given what's going on, saying, hey, you know, there may be a long-term opportunity in this space? Well, as you look around the world, we know bonds are a bubble. Bonds have never been this expensive in the history of the world, anywhere in the world. Our interview with Jim continues over in part two, which will be released tomorrow as soon as we're through editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below as well as the little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to click the like button too while you're at it. And if the major macro threats Jim has highlighted in this interview have you feeling a little vulnerable about the prospects for your wealth, then consider scheduling a free, no-strings-attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio, keeping in mind the trends and risks that Jim has highlighted here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next in part two of our video interview with Jim Rogers. Music